Welcome to another message from LifePoint Church, located at 400 South Abilene in Valley Center, Kansas. For more information on LifePoint Church, go to our website at lpcag.org. It is our prayer to invest in generations to influence community. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Steve Rains. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. It says this, it's up on the screen, I believe, as well. Praying at all times in the Spirit. This is our theme verse for our bold uh, uh, theme for the year. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. As for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So today, as our announcement video uh, communicated to us that we're starting this new series on the book of Romans. Um, uh, it's been a while since we just walked through, through where we preached through an entire book of Scripture. Our last one that we did was the Gospel of Mark, and Gospel of Mark is 16 chapters long, and it's the shortest of all the Gospels, but it took us a long time to get through it. And um, it took us longer to preach through it than it did for Mark to write it right? But, um, but so we're going to do the same thing with Romans. It's going to be months before we finish out the book, but I love just slowing down and walking through the richness of scripture and allowing it to speak to us and, and find our place in it and how it speaks to our culture in timely manners. And so we're going to be doing that, um, starting that today. And so let me just give you some background real quick on the, the book of uh, Romans. It's written by the apostle Paul. He was a man who was transformed by the gospel. He went from despising the message of the gospel, from persecuting the gospel, from trying to shut the gospel down, and, uh, and, and persecuting Christians to promoting the gospel. The first four books of the New Testament are, are called what? The gospels, right? The gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of John. And some would call Romans the gospel of, according to Paul, or the gospel of Paul. Paul is giving us, really, theological ramifications of what Jesus did, what Christ accomplished through his death, his resurrection, and uh, what a difference that the gospel, or uh, the gospel of Romans, or, or the book of Romans will bring to your life, to our life, throughout the history of church, really, and, and the, the, the beauty of it. And so we're going to look at this book, because this book really has shaped church history in a profound way. Romans was, has brought salvation to those who God has used to impact and to influence the direction of the church, the existence of the church through the last 20 centuries or so. I mean, you think of Augustine, impacted by the gospel of Romans. I'm going to keep saying that even though Romans is not, it's not tagged the gospel. Now I'm going to just keep saying it. But Augustine impacted by Martin Luther, the, the, the leader of the Reformation, impacted by Romans. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, impacted, changed by the book of Romans. And it really could be referred to as Paul's magnum opus of all of his writings. 
Paul begins the letter with an introduction of himself and why he's writing. And the why of the letter of, of the book of Romans is the gospel. The word gospel means good news, right? This may sound sacrilegious, but for some of you today, you are hoping for some good news tonight. Good news that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. The gospel, let me just submit to you, is, isn't just good news, it's the best news. The declaration throughout the book really is, is our, our tagline for this series, Unashamed. You see it really communicated, maybe not directly, but indirectly throughout the book. Unashamed because of the power of the gospel. Unashamed because uh, of, of being justified by Christ. Unashamed because of the power of faith. Unashamed because he is alive to God. Because you're alive to God if you're in Christ. Unashamed because there is no condemnation in Christ. Unashamed because of the place within the body of Christ. Unashamed because of the dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is the best news throughout all times. <laughs> it's the best news that you and I have ever heard. I mean, how many of you are, are grateful for the gospel? I mean, my hope through this series is that not only will you understand it better, experience it more fully, and live it daily, but we'll share it with, with others as well because the good news is meant to be shared. Isn't that right, Chief fans? Christianity is the expression of the gospel. Unfortunately, some don't understand Christianity. Others have been, or they've been around poor examples, or they've seen poor examples of Christianity. And yet, there are those, even in our own zip code, that are unknowing of it. I, I, I just make that statement, and my mind goes back to when we pastored in Goodland, Kansas. That was a long time ago. And when we first got there, I mean, we knew the community because we had an inside track. It was Robin's hometown, her home church that we went back to. So we, we understood where we were at. But I went out early in our time there, and I just went door to door, and I just was asking people questions. It wasn't so much um, to witness, although if that opportunity presented itself, I was walking through that door. But, but I just went around just asking them about the church and, and, and about Jesus and what they thought about Jesus, what they thought about the church. And, and I can remember going to this one door a couple blocks from the church, and I rang the doorbell, and this little girl came to the door. And I, I asked her, I said, you know, I was just engaging her, and, and I asked her, do you know who Jesus is? And she was probably 10 years old. And she said, no, never heard the name. And that is in Goodland, Kansas, rural America, where there's a church pretty much on every block in that community. And I just stepped, I can remember walking away from that house going, oh my goodness, welcome to the new America. And, and that was couple decades ago when that conversation happened, I can only imagine what it is now. 
Have you ever asked someone what, uh, what Christianity is? Hey, so, hey, man, give me your definition. What is Christianity? Oftentimes, we will hear things like, it isn't so much good news as it is good advice. If you ask somebody what's Christianity, they'll tell you something maybe along these lines, that, that you're to love people. Good advice. They may say something, well, man, it's about being a good person. It's about being um, kind. Good advice. It's not Christianity. It's good advice. Um, the gospel is good news. It's life-changing. It's eternity-changing. It's soul-changing. It's the best news that you and I have ever heard. And what does Paul have to say about the gospel as we start this study from Romans? Let me, I just want to give you six thoughts. Each of these thoughts will take about an hour apiece. If you could summarize the book of Romans, how would you summarize it? I want to summarize it with these two verses. Verses 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, or also to the Greek, for it is the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's the gospel. That is Romans in two verses. The rest of the book really expounds on that. Paul gives an introduction. He tells them what the gospel is connected to. It's connected to the resurrection, and it admonishes them. He admonishes them to do these things. He's thankful for them. He prays for them. He loves them, and he was in debt to them. We'll talk more about that here in a little bit, but, and he's excited to visit them. But all of that comes because of the gospel. All of that transpires in Paul's life, in his heart, because of the gospel. So let me just give you six things about the gospel real quick. Number one is the gospel is from God. Look at it, verse 1. Paul is servant. The, the word Paul uses here for servant would, would be meaningful to the Romans because it's the word slave. Depending on what translation you're looking at this morning, it may say the word slave. There was an estimated, as Paul's writing this, um, this letter to the Romans, there's an estimated 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at this time. And a slave was looked on as a piece of property, not a person. So as you read these words... Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, or Paul, a slave of Christ, how does he view himself? A slave? In other words, a piece of property? To who? To God. For us in our modern day culture, in our, uh, our, our under 21st, under, we're like, oh man, I, that's not good. But in Paul's mind, that's the, that's the only thing that he could be. Because he was purchased by Christ. This isn't something that he made up. Or it goes on to say that uh, of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. This wasn't something that he made up or other people made up. This is from God. In his writing to the Romans, he mentions God 144 times. The gospel is from God the Father. It is God lifting up. It's God lifting up your chin. Hey, hey, look, look at me. 
grabbing your cheeks and, 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 and directing your eyes to the Father. Saying, I want to tell you something. This is how I, I feel about you. It's the gospel. This is how much you're worth. Look at me. It's the gospel. And those words of the gospel speaking over and, and, and trump, uh, triumphing over all the negative words that have been spoken in your life. You're broken. You won't amount to much. You're addicted. You'll never break this addiction. You're a failure. You, you know, all that stuff that, that the enemy speaks in your life or culture speaks in your life or your mind, you speak into your life and over your life. God says, I want to speak into your life. The gospel isn't new news. It didn't originate in the minds of men. Look at verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This isn't a contingency plan or an afterthought. How many know God doesn't play catch-up? God knows the beginning and the end. He knows all things. He's what theologians would call omniscient. He knows everything. You can't go like this to God and hope he doesn't know. He knows, right? He doesn't have to learn anything. God knew men would disobey, fall into sin, and would need to be rescued uh, uh, from their sin. Before creation happened, God willed, planned, and prepared the gospel. The gospel was planned by God. The gospel is not a new message. It was promised in the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The prophet Isaiah, in his writing, certainly preached the gospel in passages such as Isaiah 118 or, or Isaiah chapter 53 or Isaiah chapter 44. You see the gospel communicated there. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. How blessed is God. What a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Look at this. Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had had us in mind. In other words, he knows you. He isn't surprised by your arrival. You, in God's eyes, weren't the product of, of two people's passion. He had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. And what, what, what pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter, enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Chuck Swindoll, pastor, author, writes this, the gospel was promised beforehand. The message Paul carried was not new. It had been the central focus of the Old Testament, the impetus behind the Lord's interaction with humankind since Adam and Eve's tragic disobedience in the Garden of Eden. The gospel was promised through the, his prophets. The message Paul carried fulfilled the hope of salvation foreshadowed by every prophet since Moses. The gospel was promised in the Holy Scriptures. God is excited to show us who he is, and the gospel makes it possible. The gospel makes it so that you can know God. Secondly, the gospel is about Jesus. Look at me. The gospel is not about you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not about you. <laughs> it benefits you, but it's not about you. It's about Jesus. 
Paul says this in verse 3, Romans 1, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. So human, humanly speaking, that's his, his lineage. But his spiritual lineage, Paul says, verse 4, and he declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He didn't declare he was just an ordinary man. No, he said he and his father were one. One in purpose, one in origin, one in kind. If he, does, if he wasn't, if Paul wasn't telling the truth, if Jesus wasn't, more importantly, if Jesus wasn't telling the truth, he would never have been resurrected. But because he was, he triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. And when, we, when he was resurrected in power, it proved who he said he was. That he came to do what he said that he came to do. And what he came to do was accepted by God. It's amazing. The gospel centers on Jesus. It's, a, it's about Jesus. Let, let me ask you, why, why should we share the gospel? Why, why should we give to missions? Why, why respond to a plea like this? Why? Why do those things? To fulfill the Great Commission? For because we're we're to love God and love people. That's really not the real reason. Look at verse five. I mean, those are good good reasons, right? But it's not what Paul would direct us to. For the sake of His name among all the nations, why do it, Jesus? We preach the gospel, we live the gospel, we do the gospel for the sake of his name. Because of who he is and how awesome he is. I mean, how awesome is Jesus? Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why do we share the gospel that the world would know the, the, that the world would know the greatness and the splendor and the goodness and the power of Jesus? Why do we come into this place on a, on a Sunday morning or on a, on a Sunday night at times or on a Wednesday night or, or periodically and other times? Why? So that we would encounter the splendor and glory and awesomeness of Jesus. This calls us to think deeply about Scripture and beckons us to move beyond human reason or, or our feelings. It invites us to, to meditate on who God is and and how good he is, and how in control he is, and that he's holding not only today, but tomorrow, and next week, and next month, and the coming years, and the coming decades, and all of millennia in his hand. That God would open our hearts so that we would know and understand how great he is. Number three, the gospel produces obedience. Look at it, verse five. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. The, the NIV says the obedience that comes by faith, meaning that the gospel impacts our life, that we don't live 
we don't live life under, under the, the, the construct of, man, I have to do this, I have to do that, right? That it moves us away from a Christianity that is ruled by do's and don'ts to a faith that moves us in power and helps, helps us to, to live a life that pleases God, but also a faith that desires to please God even without ever being told how. I mean, it's the power of the gospel. I mean, that it has a way of recalibrating the compass of our life. I, I was just thinking about this this week. I mean, this was early on in, in my walk with Jesus, but I can remember when I came to faith in Christ and just how I was as a, as a, young, uh, as a young teenager, a young man, and just the things that were in my life. I mean, I, I can remember just cussing. I would just like, I just cussed. You know? Some of you are like, I, I still do. But I can remember, right? I was just like, boop, 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 you know, and uh, and and doing saying thing out on out on the on the football field on Friday nights, man. It was like play the play, cuss the guy out, break the huddle, play the play, cuss the guy out. That in my my sophomore junior years, that's how it was. On my senior year, play the play. God bless you. Play the play. Jesus is coming. You better be ready. Right? And, and, and I can remember, God, I don't want to talk this way any longer. I don't want to, like, have this, this toxic mouth and this toxic language be a, be a part of who I am. And, and I can remember just um, being at a practice one, one day, and all of a sudden something happened where in the past it would have been, like, you know, four-letter words just flowing freely, right? And all of a sudden, I was there, and something happened, and I'm like, wait a minute. I didn't talk like I used to talk. And then it was like a little, you know, celebration deal took place. It was awesome. And that's not to say that ever since that moment, I've never been tempted or thought about sharing words that are not edifying. But... God has done a tremendous work. I think about the, the issue like growing up, my, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My dad was, if he wasn't an alcoholic, he was on the verge of being an alcoholic. Really, he, he probably was because he was days away from being homeless in the streets of Denver before my mom said, hey, you need to you need move back to Fort Collins. You can stay in the basement. And um, um, I don't want my kid's dad to be homeless. And he was, he was, pretty rip-roaring drunk pretty much through that season of his life because of his brokenness. And, and I can remember, you know, so alcohol was a part of our home growing up. I can remember my parents getting in a fight late at night, one night, screaming at each other, waking up, going out and seeing my mom holding a bottle. This is what you do, speaking to my dad, this is what you do when you can't handle something. You just drink it up, and so she's swigging it down. I remember that. I remember stepping into the party scene, and I remember getting, getting rip-roared drunk as a, as a high schooler and, and um, doing things and going places where, where I was just setting myself up for tragedy and others as well. God got a hold of my life. And I remember Jesus becoming my Lord and Savior, encountering the power of the gospel, and just pushing all that stuff away and going, why would I want to do that? And seeing God do this transformative work in my heart 
the desires to lose those things wasn't because of clothesline preaching. It wasn't because my youth pastor in the day was like, hey, I'm going to preach it strict, straight, and strong today. It was because I had a desire to please God, and I knew what those things would lead me to because I saw it happen in my family, and I saw it happen in my past. And each of those, each of us have a moral code written on our hearts. Romans 2 talks about that. We're going to unpack some of that in the coming weeks, and it should be our desire to turn from those things and turn to him, not because I have to, not because it's hanging over my head and it's a checklist, but because I love God. That's my motivation. When a person comes to Christ, it changes them. And those were, those were some personal testimonies. I'm not trying to overlay my, my convictions on you, but I just want you to understand how it worked in my life. Do you understand? Number, number four, the gospel is for everyone. It doesn't matter a person's background. It doesn't matter previous decisions. It doesn't matter culture. Everyone is everyone. Look at your neighbor and say, mm-hmm. <laughs> Verse five, through whom we have received the grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name according to all the nations. God's desire is that everyone would have the opportunity to hear the gospel. Those in our community, those that you have opportunity to speak to that, that, that I don't or the person next to you doesn't, but because of your relationship, you do. For those in Colombia, for those in, in Thailand, since the Schmidleys were just with us, I'll, I'll use Thailand. 99% of that nation doesn't know the good news of the gospel, but they deserve to hear. That's why we ask you to make a faith missions promise. That's why we ask you to go across the street. That's why you're invited to go to Columbia. It's, it's for everyone. That is why we ask you to, to partner together and, and give towards missions every month or to give up a cup of coffee or a meal out or a new shirt. Because it's like, man, Jesus, I want people to know this news. Paul re, uh, reiterates it again in verse 14. Look at it. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, which would simply mean the uncivilized world. He's not speaking down at people. He's just saying the uncivilized world, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul doesn't disqualify anyone based on location. Every human being, being made in the image of God. And he has this memo. Paul has this memo for them. It's the gospel. And it's the good news. Listen to this. Paul says, depending on your translation, the VSV, which is what I'm using this morning, says under obligation. The King James, or it's probably even in the New King James, says it this way. I'm a debtor. In other words, I owe them the gospel. Why does he owe them the gospel? There's two ways to, to um, owe somebody something, right? The first way is this. You borrowed something from someone and you owe, you owe it back to them. 
You owe it, you owe it to, to give it back. You go to your neighbor's house this afternoon, and you're like, hey, um, uh, I need some flour, but I want to make some, some uh, uh, oatmeal raisin cookies. They're my favorites, so, but I'm out of flour. Can I borrow a couple cups of flour from you? And they're like, yeah, um, here it is. I'll, I'll pay you back next time I go to the store. And two days later, you show up, and you're like, here's your flour. Go to your neighbor, hey, I need a ribeye. Can you help me out? Here, take it. You don't have to pay me back, right? But you borrow something from somebody and you owe them. You owe it back to them. The second way is to be given something of value from someone else and it's for somebody else. So let me give you the example played out this way. Someone comes to me and says, hey, Pastor Steve, um, man, I have a, a Van Gogh painting. It's like, it's like the only one. And it's been in my family, and I love you, and, and I need you to do me a favor. I need you to take this, this Van Gogh, and I need you to, to, to deliver it to, to, uh, to Jim. Okay? Can you do that for me? Yeah, I could do that. And so I load up that Van Gogh in the back seat of my pickup truck, and I'm driving over to Jim's house, and I'm looking in my rearview mirror, and I'm like, man, that's a pretty nice painting. And I start thinking about my house. And I think, that, that picture would go great right over my stairwell. Right? You know, Jim won't like it. Like, he won't appreciate it. Like, I'll appreciate it. So I'm just going to take that picture. I'm going to hang it above my stairwell. How many know, if I don't take Jim the picture... I've done something wrong because I owe them or I owe him the picture because I was asked to take the picture to them. Are you with me? God gave us something way more valuable than a human treasure. I mean, some of y'all are wearing this human treasure thing pretty proud today. <laughs> God gave us something way more valuable than a human treasure. And he did so with the intent that we would give it to someone else. He gave us the gospel, not to keep it to ourselves, but freely you have been, freely you've been given, or freely you've received, freely what? Give, right? It's our obligation. We are all debtors. Paul is like, I'm giving it to everyone. That neighbor who gives you the evil eye here in a couple of weeks because you've just filled up your street with cars because you're hosting a life group and they're just like, give them the gospel. That, that big party kid in your high school or in your college the gospel's for them. That boss who has everything that money can buy, the gospel is for them. That family member who doesn't seem interested, doesn't care, the gospel is for them. 
Number five, the gospel is God's power. And this is so awesome. Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I mean, Paul is headed to Rome. It's, it's the New York or L.A. of his day. It's the epicenter of activity. He says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone for, uh, who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I mean, let's share. The, it's a, I'm just like, oh, so stirred up about this. Let's share the gospel because it's the best news that we can bring people. Paul gives us some reasons not to be ashamed. I mean, reason number one, you're giving the gospel. The gospel isn't just good news. It's the best news ever. It's the power of God, the great power, the greatest power known to mankind. is not what you plug into the wall. It's the gospel because it has the power to change someone's salvation. It has the power to change their eternal address for all eternity. It's the gospel. It has the power for wholeness. It has the, it's for everyone. And the power isn't, this is such good news, it's not in the gospeler. It's not in you and your ability to communicate it. It's in the gospel. Share it. Speak it. The gospel changes the hearts of people, the ability to change someone's eternal address. The, the word here the, for power is the, the Greek word dunamis, where we get our, our word dynamite. It's the power of God to transform someone's life. But it gets even better. In the secular Greek, power is used in terms of a prescription. So look at it this way. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, or in the secular Greek it would read, it is a prescription of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let me illustrate it this way. Your kid wakes up uh, this evening, if you have a kid, at 11 o'clock, or think back to when you were a kid. You'd wake up you know, at 11 o'clock, and, and you wake up, and your, uh, their throat is just on fire. Their ears are, are, are aching. And you're like, man, stink. It's going to be a long night. And there's nothing you can do, so you just ride out the night. But in the morning, you call the doctor, and the doctor invites you in because he just, they want you to see the office. It's been a while since you've been there. So they said, come in at 10.30, and you're like, can you please get them in at 6? No. 10.30, come in, and, and so you're like, all right, we're going. And you come into the doctor's office. You, they call you back into the room. The doctor walks in, and he checks your kid out, opens up your mouth, sticks the thing down the, down the back of their throat. You know, they gag a little bit, and, and um He's looking back there, and man, that's flaming red. That's like, that's like chief red. That's bad. And, uh, and um, it's white pussy stuff. Man, that, that's good. Let me look in your, oh, man, those ears are bad. And you're like, Doc, I, I could have told you all this. Just help me. And you're waiting in anticipation. What's the doctor going to do? Because the fear is, is the doctor may say, well, you know what? Let's just give it a few days, see if it clears up, and then call me if it's not. And you're like, don't, you can't go there. Right? And your hope is, is that the doctor will reach into his front coat pocket and pull that pad out. And you see him do that, and excitement wells up in your soul. Right? 
and you think, man, that is a touchdown. You think prescription and healing is coming. That piece of paper has power to help your kid get well. And you're thankful for that because it also means you get asleep that night. And you're indebted to the doctor. You just have to take that prescription, that piece of paper, and you just have to run across town to the pharmacy. And you have to get, give, you've been given something of value to benefit somebody else. Do you see? And the gospel is power. It's a prescription. And Dr. God says this. Here, take this, and it will change you. It will make you well. Signed with love. Your great physician. It will remove the infection of sin from your life. Number six, the gospel produces righteousness, and this is so good, because without righteousness, we don't see the Lord. The Bible tells us that we have a sin debt. The Bible says in Romans 3.10 that there is no one righteous, not even one. The best person in the room is not good enough. The Bible tells us that we have the sin debt. There's no, there's, uh, no one righteous, not even one. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have fallen, fallen uh, or excuse me, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages or the payment or the result of sin is death. Death entered the world with sin, and we all see the ramifications of sin every day. You drive down the road, you see the cemetery. You drive down the, the road, you see the funeral home. That is all evidence of sin. Human wisdom says, I know I have done some bad things. So I will try to balance the scale and do good. How do you know if it's covered? How do you know if it's enough? You just roll the dice and I hope snake eyes pops up. Do you hold your breath knowing that one day a judgment's coming? See, there isn't anything that we can do. There's no amount of self-sacrifice that will give you right standing before God. We're all separated from him without Christ. But I love this. It's our life verse for the week. Here's the hope. 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, he's speaking of Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So God laid on him, he laid on him our sin, all of our sin, the sin of humanity, laid upon Jesus. It's the great exchange, if you will, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He clothes us in Jesus' righteousness when we put our faith in him. When we do that, you know what happens? He treats us as Jesus deserves to be treated. I mean, that's the best news that you could ever hear. When you put your faith in Jesus, your sin is put upon Jesus. I mean, when Jesus went to the cross, that, that's what happened. He, he takes the punishment from my sin, 
and his righteousness is put upon me. I mean, when we step back into worship, if you're a follower and if Jesus is your Lord, you should worship in a way today that is just like, oh my goodness, God, how could I, how could I just ever have the thought of, when is this going to be over? I want to go home because of what you've done for me. That I just want to just be in awe of you and just take hold of this moment and express my gratitude to you. When God looks at me, God treats me as Jesus deserves, not as I deserve. Just because I put my faith in him. I mean, that's like... I hit, I hit mute. That's the best news I've ever heard. When you put your faith that the worship team would come, when you put your faith in Christ, listen to me. This is how powerful the gospel is. When you put your faith in Christ, your sins, your past, your present, and I want to submit to you, your future sins have been forgiven. That's the gospel. Some of you are saying, but wait a minute. Does that mean that I can go on sinning? Paul talks about that. We'll get that to that in Romans 6 and 7 in a few years, but um, <laughs> it'll be sooner than that, but... But he talks about that. And my, my response to that, you know, because there, there would be some that would say, well, then God's grace is so good and I'm going to be forgiven so I can just live however I want to live and do whatever I want to do and, and there's no uh, uh, ramifications for that. I mean, can I just remind you the truth is still the truth. The wages of sin is death. When you and I participate in sin, it's going to bring death. It may not ruin your eternal um, uh, Reservation, although I believe it can, if you remain in it. But, but listen, it's more, my question is this. For those that would just say, well, then, can I just live in sin and, I'm, and it's all good? My response to that is, why would you want to? If sin is death and the gospel is freedom and liberty and righteousness, why would you choose the other, right? Be unashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for all who would believe. This concludes the teaching. Thank you for listening, and we hope you can join us for next Sunday's service with Pastor Steve Raines.